tell you Bibles and turn with me tonight to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. We've been preaching through the book of Jonah. We've titled the series On the Run, dealing with the situation with Jonah and how that he was running from the Lord and doing what the Lord wanted him to do. And uh, up to this point, uh, Jonah had rebelled against God and where we're at tonight and, and uh, against the commands of the Lord. And so we're looking here in, in chapter 3, and of course uh, uh, we'll go back over a little bit here what had taken place. If you would please stand for the reading of God's Word if you're able to. Jonah chapter 3. You know, it's amazing the, the things that the Lord can give us out of the Word of God in such, uh, such as Jonah, looking at his life and seeing how the Lord uses that. The Bible speaks about how the, all these things were given for our example, that we might understand, that we might see, that we might apply. If you just preach uh, just a history, it don't do you much good. There needs to be application from the Word of God into your life, into my life, if we're going to get anything out of the Word of God. And I believe if we'll let the Holy Spirit guide us and direct us, that God will speak to our hearts through each of the examples and different things throughout the Scripture. And you can come back again and preach a completely another series through the book of Jonah, be completely different than what we're, what we're dealing with in this, and God will deal with different things. It's just amazing the power, the strength, and the, and the depth of the Word of God. And, of course, only God could, could do that. A man cannot do that. Man is, is, is pretty shallow, and, but God has such depth that you can keep going back to a verse, go back to a verse, go back to a verse. Every time God reveals something different to your heart and life. And so we've been looking through the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 3, and we're going to read four verses here, and then we'll get into our message. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it, the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. What we find sometimes, that a lot of people say, and there's different thoughts on this about the three days' journey that when Jonah was spit out, or vomited out, you might say, might as well say, onto the dry land, that it would take three days normally to get from where he was to Nineveh. And that's a very good possibility. We don't know. That's very possible. The other idea is this, that uh, Nineveh, we don't realize how big Nineveh was. We think of those cities as being kind of small cities. Well, think of Nineveh as this way. If you go, and we'll, we'll talk about this later as we get a little bit farther over, over 600,000 people lived in Nineveh. Over 600,000 people lived in Nineveh. If you look at the, where it laid, and it was kind of a plain that was, you might say, was kind of like Nineveh, was kind of like the capital. Kind of like if you was to go to Los Angeles, you got all these cities that inter intermingle with Los Angeles, and, but you have Los Angeles proper, but then you have all the surrounding that connects to it, and everybody just calls it Los Angeles. And that's the way it was, basically, with Nineveh. They used to think that, well, Nineveh was not that great big deal until they began to do some excavation, and they found parts of Nineveh over by the Tigris River, and the valley as it goes up into a kind of a wedge shape, and it's huge. And so uh, over six they say that possibly what would take a man three days to go through and round through Nineveh to preach the gospel, Jonah did it in one day. We don't know if it was three days' journey to get there or, 
uh, that, he, that they're talking about, and he got there in one day, or whether it was three days to go around the city, and he was able to do it in one day. Either way, that's pretty amazing, amen? Pretty amazing. So we're going to look here tonight at verses 1 through 4 and see what God has for us. And verse 1 is our text tonight. It says, The word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. Came unto Jonah the second time. Like preached message, I've titled, A God of Second Chances. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for loving us. Thank you for the mercies of God. Thank you, Lord, for the second chances that you have placed in my life. Thank you for the forgiveness of sin. Thank you, Lord, for the hand of God that continues to work when I fail you. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. And, Lord, I pray now that you be with us tonight. May you be magnified. May you be glorified. May we lift you up and exalt you. Lord, you deserve all honor and glory. Lord, I pray tonight that you'd speak to our hearts, that we would do just exactly that, give you the honor and glory that you deserve. Be with these that we've spoken of already about prayer and prayer requests, Lord. There'll be many others that we'll speak about here in a little while, but Lord, I pray now that you just be with them, meet the needs that they have. Lord, we pray for our nation. We pray, Lord, for those in Afghanistan, Christians there, Lord, that uh, are under attack and, and many that will that are possibly going to be killed. Lord, I pray that you'd be with them, protect them, Lord. May your will be done there. Have your will and way, Lord, in the services tonight. May you be glorified. May you be lifted up. May you be exalted, for I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You be seated. Well, up to this point, we'd seen Jonah. He had, the Lord, the word of the Lord had came unto him the first time, and he had rejected the word of the Lord, and he turned and bought his, his, uh, his ticket to go down to Tarsus, running from God. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to go down there and preach what God had told him to do. So he's in rebellion already. He takes off. He heads. He gets on a ship. He goes down into the bottom of the ship. He finds a place to lay down and go to sleep. They get out to sea. And this thing begins, to, a storm begins to roll in. And the storm gets so bad that they're, that they're worried that it's going to sink. And they go down into the bottom of the ship and they find him asleep. And the ship's master, he wakes him up and says, call on your God. And and we find nowhere where Jonah called on the Lord. He comes up, they explain finally where, who the God of, it's the God of heaven that has is, is, is brought the, the storm into their lives because of him. And they want to know, well, what can we do? And he says, you got to throw me overboard. Well, eventually they do. They throw him overboard. He's, God's already prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. He swallows him up. He goes to the bottom of the sea. And you say, how do you get that? Well, if you look where it talks about down to the bottoms of the mountains uh, and so forth there, he goes to the bottom and Jonah's in, in there, whether, uh, you know, and he, at some point there, Jonah prays and he repents. He gets right with God. And now we find that he's been vomited up. And at the end of chapter two, he's vomited up onto dry ground. And now here we are. He, the Lord comes to him again. The Lord begins to speak to him and he calls unto him. Look here with me in, in verse 1 again. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. This is the Lord speaking to him the second time. And he's calling him by name again. And he's speaking to him the second time that the Lord had audibly spoken to Jonah. The first time he, he, uh, he apparently audibly spoke to Jonah. Uh, Jonah didn't have, uh, uh, like what we do here, the, the book of Jonah to tell him that he's going to speak to him. He did have part of the Old Testament. But the fact is, God came to him and spoke to him the first time, and he ran. Now he's speaking to him the second time. It doesn't mean that he didn't speak to him at other times, but he did, however, speak to him through different ways because of, of, of how Jonah acted the first time when God spoke to him audibly here. We find that, you know, sometimes God's, God's word is plain and it's before us as the Lord speaks. You would find that in the preaching of God's word. You would find that in reading your Bible. 
You would find that in the Holy Spirit dealing with your heart and life and bringing conviction about things. That's God speaking to you personally. But then sometimes you find, as it was in Jonah's life, that God uses storms and circumstances to speak to your heart. I'm going to be honest with you. I think it's a lot better to respond to the preached word. I think it's better, you're better off to respond to the Bible as you read it and God speaks to your heart through the Holy Spirit of God than to have to go through the storms and have to go through the circumstances like Jonah did to get you to listen. The whole time and the whole thing is this. God never gave up on Jonah. Amen. He never gave up on him. Right. You stop and think about it in your life. There's been times in your life that you've got a little way from the Lord. You might have got cold and indifferent. You may not have got way out in sin or anything. But you just really wasn't walking with God. You wasn't really having that fellowship with Him. And God had to speak to you through circumstances possibly or through difficulties because you wasn't responding to His spoken word. You wasn't responding to His written word. You wasn't responding to the Holy Spirit. And so He had to speak to you. You know, sometimes He has to speak to us that way. It's kind of like a, an eagle. We find that an eagle does some strange things sometimes as it's trying to get its eaglets out of the nest. In fact, it's spoken of in, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 11. It says, As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings. And so basically what it is, an eagle has been known to do this when an eaglet gets up to a certain size and has learned to fly. And even as it's that, 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 that mother eagle is trying to teach those eaglets to fly, when they learn to fly, that eagle will go back to the nest and will tear the nest up. Just tear it up. So that they don't have a place to go back to. And the reason is, is because if they find that secure nest, they'll never learn how to fly. And so she'll tear up the nest... Then sometimes she'll get them on her wings and she'll take them up to a, a real high elevation and they're on her wings and she will literally go like this and roll over and those eagles will flop through the air, flopping and flopping and flopping and flopping and trying to learn how to fly. And before they get too, way too far down there where they might get hurt, she swoops back under again and picks them back up. And they're like, whew, thank you, Mama. Until she goes up to the high elevation and she rolls over again and it all starts all over again. And what she's doing is she's tearing up their nest. She's tearing up their comfort zone. She's getting them to learn how to fly. Can I tell you something? Sometimes God has to flutter over our nest. Sometimes God has to dump us from heights. And it feels like we're tumbling and falling in order to get us to listen. To get us to, to where we will obey His word. Get to where he can have control of our lives again. And, and so he speaks through his word. He speaks through uh, the Holy Spirit. He speaks through uh, the, the preaching. But sometimes it has to be through the circumstances. So the Lord was speaking to Jonah when Jonah was in the whale. The Lord was speaking to him in the storm. The Lord was speaking to him before he went. But now he's got his attention. He's out on the dry ground again. And now he's, he's ready to go. You see... It's the patience and the mercy of the Lord that meets with Jonah the second time. You know, sometimes we give up on people real quick. Sometimes we just say, that's enough. But God is patient and God is long-suffering. In fact, the psalmist said in Psalms 86, 15, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, 
long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. Aren't you glad tonight that we have a God that is merciful? Aren't you glad tonight that we have a long-suffering God? That He is patient with us? Have you ever been in a situation, and I'm sure that you have been, that you've lost your patience with somebody? You've been, maybe you've been telling them or maybe you've been trying to get them to do this or to do that or, or to do it right or whatever it might be. And finally, you've had it up to here and you lose your patience. You know what? God is merciful and He's long-suffering. And His long-suffering and mercifulness to us is a lot, a lot larger than ours is. And even through the circumstances that may seem like discipline in hard times, it's because of His mercy and it's because of His long-suffering that He brings those things into our lives. He doesn't just throw you away. He keeps working on you. And He keeps working on you. And He keeps working on you. I don't know if you've ever tried to, and I'm sure that, that Charles has done this, try to get a rusty nut off of a bolt. And you squirt that thing down with WD-40 or or some type of penetrating uh, lubricant uh, on there and trying to get it to break loose. You let it soak, you let it soak, and you try a wrench on it and doesn't want to move, doesn't want to move. And finally, you get a torch out. You heat that thing up, try to get it to expand so that it'll pop loose and, and you can break it loose. When I was working on trailers and stuff, we'd do a little bit of that, and then we'd call for the blue tip wrench. You say, what's the blue tip wrench? It's the cutting torch. And that's when you cut it off. You know, I'm glad God doesn't call for the blue tip wrench on you and me all the time. And He doesn't cut us off. But He spares us and He works and He works and He's, and he's patient and, and He has long patience and suffering with you and me. We find that many times God is more concerned about His workers than He is about their work. Huh? God's more concerned about his workers than he is about their work. I'm going to say it again because I want you to get this. God is more concerned about you than he is about what you can do. Is that plain enough? Everybody understand that? And here's the reason. If he can get you where you need to be, and what you ought to be, then the work that you will do will be what it ought to be. And so he's working in your life and in my life. That's what he was doing with Jonah. He knew that he had a job for Jonah to do. Now, could have God called somebody else to, and send them to Nineveh? Yes, he could have. That was the work that was needing to be done. But he was interested in completing the work in Jonah's life. Because he knew if he would got, when he got Jonah where he is supposed to be, then the work would be done the way it was supposed to be done. And so it was that long patience and with that, that long suffering and, and that mercy that he is working there in his life and he works in your life and my life. Throughout Jonah's time of rebellion uh, to the word of the Lord, the Lord was displeased with him. He was displeased with him. I'm not going to say that God wasn't displeased with him. He was displeased with him, but he never once, listen to me, he never once deserted 
Jonah. You say, well, preacher, it looked like he deserted him when he got thrown overboard and the fish swallowed him up. Oh, no. He was right there the whole time. You see, you may feel like God's deserted you, but he hasn't deserted you. You may even feel like, hey, listen, where's God at? He's right there. You see, it, it was God who controlled the storm. It was God who prepared the great fish. And it was God who rescued him from the depths of the sea. It was God. How many, how many times have you ever heard about a fish swallowing a man and then going up to dry land and, and puking him out? Never heard of it, have you? No. The problem is, is that God was, in, it's not a problem, but God was in control. And many times we forget that through those situations, through those storms, and through, the, through the, the going into the depths of the sea, that God is still there. He doesn't cast us away. He's still working. Why? Because He's interested in you as a person. He's interested in what He can do in your life because He has a plan for you to do, but He's got to get you where you need to be so that you can do what He wants you to do. Too many times, you know, I've seen guys, they'll, they'll take an, a tool. Uh, I, I worked with a fellow one time, and I don't know how many wrenches we lost when we was out working. He would have a wrench on something, and he would take it and, and, and try to tighten something or break something loose, and it would slip off, and he would smack his knuckles against something, and he'd take that wrench and just throw it just as far as he could throw it. You say, well, that's ignorant. Wasn't the wrench's fault. The wrench didn't have anything to do with it. He said, well, the wrench must have been wore out. No, it was a good wrench. I seen him throw several good wrenches away. I seen him take a, a crescent wrench and put on one one time, big crescent wrench, trying to break something loose, and he didn't have it tightened down enough on, on the adjustment on it, and it, it came, and you know how a crescent wrench do it? It'll slide off. And he busted his knuckles and he pitched it out in the, in the weeds. I said, I think you probably ought to go get that crescent wrench. I ain't getting that thing. He said, it's wore out. I said, it's not wore out. And he and I happened to be working with my dad. So I didn't go get it. I got back and I told dad, I said, he owes you a crescent wrench. He said, what do you mean? I said, he got mad, threw it out in the weeds. So dad said, hey, listen, I know you got a temper. He said, but that wrench is not that old. He said, you need to bring me a crescent wrench. So he went and bought a crescent wrench. You know what? God doesn't do that with me and you. When we don't exactly do what we're supposed to do, he doesn't take us and pitch us out in the weeds. He doesn't get agitated and, and throw you away. But he continues to work, on, work in your life continues to try to draw you to Him and to do a work in your life so that you can be used of Him, not just thrown away and thrown, thrown 
away. You see, he's, the Lord's in control. He, he controlled the storm. He controlled the, the great fish. And, and he, he rescued him from the depths of the sea. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5 says, For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He said, I'm here the whole time. I've not went off anywhere. Isaiah 43 and verse 2 says, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. He said, what? He said, I'm going to be with you. He said, I'm not going to keep you from not going through the waters. He said, you're going to go through the waters. But he said, uh, I'll be there with you. He said, uh, you're going to have to go through the rivers. He said, but guess what? I'm not going to let them overflow you. He said, listen, you're going to have to walk through some fire at time in your lives. He said, but listen, it'll not burn you. Neither, he said, will the flame be kindled up around you otherwise to consume you. Right. Why? Because he's compassionate right. and he loves you. The whole time the Lord was working in the life of Jonah to bring him to repentance and obedience to the will of God. What gets more glory for God? A guy that he just throws away? Or somebody that works in their life and changes their life. The one who changes their life. Sitting in this room, there's many that God has changed your life. Many in this room, there's been those who, that he has taken you and brought you, you was saved and you got away from God and he's brought you back to where you are a usable vessel again. That's where he gets honor and glory. He doesn't throw you away. So we find that just as he's patiently does in our lives, he, he doesn't throw us away. He, he mercifully works in our lives, seeking to bring you to a place where you yield to his will. Lamentations 3.22 says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. I, I can't imagine how God can have so much compassion on me, but he does. But he does. Then we see the Lord will... The Lord's will and his message didn't get changed here. Look with me there in verse 1 and 2 again of chapter 3. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to, unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Now look back over at chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. He basically is telling him the same thing. After he's went through the, the storm, after he's went through the, the depths of, of the sea, through in the, in the, in the belly of the, of the great fish, and then he's been vomited up on, on, on dry ground. He's probably bleached out. He probably stinks. He looks horrible. His hair's probably uh, all fell out because of, of the acids that was in that fish's stomach. He's probably a mess looking. And God says, okay. Here's what I want you to do. The very same thing I told you to do in the beginning. You see, just because Jonah repented, just because Jonah said he would go, didn't change the mind of God what God wanted him to do. You see, sometimes we, after the storms and we finally get to a place that we, we give in, we give up, and, and we surrender to God and we ask for forgiveness, we think, well, well maybe I, I won't have to do that now. Maybe that's changed. No, my friend, can I tell you something? God doesn't change. The will of God doesn't change. The message of God doesn't change. 
it was still get up from here and go to Nineveh and preach against that wicked city. You tell them what I'm going to tell you to tell them. You preach against it. Tell them I'm going to destroy them, except they repent. The message didn't change. God doesn't change. Many times we think that he will, but he doesn't. We find just because you go through the storm or the fires because you fail to obey, then you get it right. The Lord doesn't mean that the will of God has changed. In fact, Malachi 3, 6 says, For I am the Lord, I change not. I change not. The same message that Jonah was to take to Nineveh, by the way, let me say this. The same message that he was to take to Nineveh is the same message that we should be taking today. That message has never changed. That we need to repent, that we need to turn back. Here in America, we need to repent and we need to turn back to God. That's the same message, repent. You get over into the New Testament, what is, what is the message there? Repent. You get all the way back, you get all the way down into the book of Revelations and, and, and he's talking to the churches there. What's the message there? Repent. Turn back to God. Repent. The message never changes. How a person to get saved, they got to repent. Ask the Lord to forgive them their sins, come in their heart and life to save them. They've got to repent. The message is the same. And God's not going to change the message for nobody. And God's not going to change His will for nobody. He changes not. And so we, we you know, it, it's like this. It's, you know, as a kid, I remember times that I was supposed to do something and I didn't do it. And that, my dad would come home or something he, and I was supposed to do it and I didn't do it or whatever it might be. And, and then I either got maybe grounded from something or... Or, and that was, you know, he'd say, okay, you can't, you, you know, you can't do this and you can't do that. And you know what then he'd do? Now get out there and do what I told you to do. Or maybe I got a, a, a whipping for it. You know, after the whipping was over, do you want know to say? Now get out there and do it. It didn't change what I was supposed to do. I should have done it to begin with. I should have done it instead of having to go through the, the, uh, 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 the discipline and having to go through all that. I should have done it to begin with because I, and I learned after a while, I might as well do it because I'm going to have to do it anyways. You know, Jonah should have went ahead. We find that uh, in Luke chapter 13, verse 3, says, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And today, I'll tell you what, there's a message that needs to go out in America. There's a message that needs to go out in your heart and my heart. And that is that we need to repent. We need to call on the Lord and, and seek the Lord for revival. Seek God to do something great and mighty in our hearts and lives. Seek the Lord to do something that would change our hearts, change our lives, change our town, change our nation. You know what America needs? Yeah, we need to change the government. No, we need repentance. We need to turn to the Lord. If, we, if people will turn to the Lord, that other will get taken care of. God can set up a king and he can take down a king. God is able to do all things. 2 Chronicles 7, 14, If my people which are called by my name shall what? Humble themselves. Pray. Seek my face. Turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And that is really what if you look at, if you look at that message that we call the, 
the formula for revival, do you know what it really is? It's repentance. Repentance. Why is it so hard for us to get to a place in our life to say, God, you're right, I'm wrong. Why is it that we sit in our pews and, and we know that there's things in our lives that, we, that aren't right and, and instead of saying, God, you're right and I'm wrong, we keep arguing with God. Well, there needs to come to a place in our lives where we say, God, you're right, I'm wrong. Lord, would you forgive me? We need to turn from our wicked ways. We need to ask him to forgive us. And to do a healing in our hearts and lives and draw us back unto him. That message of repentance is such, so needed today. The way in which we're to obey and follow the Lord doesn't change. Then we find that a man who received a second chance was to deliver, to, was to deliver a message of a second chance. Did you ever stop and think about that? Here's Jonah. He got a second chance. But you know what the message that he was carrying the whole time was? A message of a second chance. Every person sitting in this room, when you got saved, you got a second chance. Do you know what your message is? It's a message of a second chance. You know why? Because we have a God of second chances. I don't know why. I don't know why God would give us a second chance. I don't know about you, but I don't deserve a second chance. But I sure thank God for a second chance. When I got saved, I got that second chance to live for the Lord, to serve Him, to follow Him, that I have eternal life. And here's Jonah, a man who received a second chance, and he was to deliver a message of a second chance. Look at verses 3 and 4. It says, So Jonah rose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey and cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I personally think that it took three days to get there normally because it says he began to enter in in one day. That's my opinion. This fellow was moving on. To say he wouldn't let no grass grow under him. And he was moving because he had a message. And the reason that he really had a message, he began to understand something. He began to understand that the message that he was carrying was a message of second chance. But God had driven home into his heart that he had got a second chance. It would do every one of us good to realize if we're saved, we got the second chance. Amen. It would do every one of us good to realize that when we sin and we ask the Lord to forgive us, we got a second chance. 
It'll do everybody good to, to realize that when we fail the Lord and we fall away from Him and then we repent of that and we come back to Him and He picks us up and, and He helps us down the road, we got a second chance. He's a God of second chances. Why would it be that we should really stop and think about that, preacher? Because every day we're by people that we need to give them the message of that second chance. It may be a saved person who's away from God. And they need to understand that God will give them a second chance if they'll repent. It may be a lost person who's on their way to a devil's hell. And God says, I got a message for them. And it'll give them a second chance. It'll give them an opportunity to get saved. It'll give them a new beginning. A new beginning. Did you ever stop and think about second chances, really? What a second chance really is? It's a new beginning. It's really just a new beginning that God gives us. I don't know about you, but... I do it. I don't make, I don't make, uh, a long time ago I quit making vows, you might say, or whatever they was, uh, what, uh, New Year's resolutions, I quit making them. How come, preacher? Because I couldn't ever keep them. Oh, I'm going to lose a little bit of weight, or I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Do good for a little while, and then it's over with. But every year at at the end of the year and at the beginning of the new year, there's something about it that when you start that new year, it seems like a new beginning to me. Now, it's no different than the day before. They just changed the number on the, on the year. But for some reason, it feels like a new beginning. You realize that when the Lord gives us a second chance, when He forgives us of a sin, that it's God moving and and it's a second chance. We've got to understand that the, the victorious Christianized... Now listen to me. If you don't get anything else that I preach, get this tonight. The victorious Christian life... The victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings after the failures. I'm going to say it again because I want you to really get it. The victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings after the failures. Well, that don't, if, there, if there's failures in there, preacher, it don't sound like it's victorious. Oh, yes, it is. The Christian life, the victorious Christian life kind of goes like this. You're starting, boy, you seem like everything's fine, and all of a sudden something happens, and you're... And then you get that new beginning. Come here a minute. Easier to show it this way. I'm going to start here. Just put your hand where I'm starting at, okay? Just put it right there, okay? You're going, you're making that incline. And all of a sudden, something happens in your life. And it dips a little bit. You get that new beginning. And you got a problem again. And you get that second chance and forgiveness. And all of a sudden, something happens in your life. And you go along there for a while. And all of a sudden, God works in your heart. 
You get that new beginning. You're going pretty good and all of a sudden something's pretty devastating. And then you get that second chance and a new beginning. Now don't look how far I am from him. But look how far I am from where I was right there. That's the victorious Christian life. Thank you. That's the, Christian, the victorious Christian life. When we get the new beginnings after the failures. Yeah. And every person in this room, whether you want to admit it or not, that's the way it is in your life. Here's the sad part. Some people get up here and they make that dip and they never repent. And there's no victory in their Christian life. Preacher, what if they get way over there and then they repent, they get a new beginning. But it's a series of new beginnings in your life. When we fall, the devil wants us to think that we can't get up, that there's no hope of recovery. But our God is a God of second chances. Over and over again, the Word of God, we see the Lord forgiving and restoring the servants of God. You go through that Bible, go through it, go through that Bible. You look at these great men of God and great ladies of the Lord, and, and in most instances, you will see that, that those second chances in their lives. As they failed and as God worked and, and, and brought them out of that, and those second chances. I'm not saying it's a license to sin. Don't get me wrong. Because we need to look at sin just like God looks at sin. We need to call it like it is in our own lives. And we ought to, and when we're praying, hey, look at, oh, well, Lord, I kind of messed up. No, you sin. And you sin against a holy and righteous God. And that's how you ought to look at, well, preacher, it's not that bad. I, you know, I just, I kind of messed up and, you know, I, I, just, I just got angry. That's not that big a deal. No, you sin against a holy God. I said something that I really didn't mean, so really not that bad, and, and, and you know, it's not that big a deal. No, you sin against a holy God. Well, everybody gets jealous once in a while, and you sin against a holy God. Well, everybody has struggles with their thoughts and the wrong thoughts at times, preacher. And when you do, you sin against a holy God. What do you do? You confess it. You ask forgiveness of it. And you go on with that second chance. And every life is just like that. To become that victorious Christian life. As we go through those times. 
as He works in our lives to bring us to where He wants us to be, to be strong. There is not a Christian, listen to me, there is not a single Christian life that has ever been like this. Not a single one. How do you know, preacher? Because the Bible says, for all have sinned. So that means they have the sin nature. And when they got saved, the flesh didn't get saved. The spiritual man did. Came alive. Jonah rose out of the disobedience and he went. Well, how we need to get up out of that sin and go. He's given us a second chance. Well, Jonah took the message of of a second chance to the, he then took that message to, to the Ninevites there. Jonah began to enter the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Did you ever stop and think about, uh, he, he, he's, preaching, he's preaching of a second chance, that if they will repent, a second chance. God says, you got forty days. If you'll repent, God's not changing. You say, well, I thought you said God doesn't, didn't change his mind. He's not. He's saying, here's how it is. You got 40 days to repent or I'll destroy you. But if you repent in that 40 days, I'm not going to destroy you. He's not changing his mind. He's giving them an ultimatum. He's just telling them how it is. Okay. It's not changing his mind. He's just saying, this is the way it is. You repent in 40 days, I won't destroy you. If you don't repent in 40 days, you're smoke. He said, I'll destroy you. Did you ever stop and think about the, the number 40? The number 40 there. I, 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 why did God choose 40? Why did he say 40 days? You know, when we think about a month, we think, well, we'll give them a month, 30 days, 31 days. God said 40 days. 40 is, when you go through the Bible and you begin to look at it, through, throughout the Bible, the number 40 is identified with testing and trials or even judgment. God uses that number. You say, well, give me an example. Okay, I'm glad you asked. During the time of Noah, it rained how many days and nights? Forty. Judgment. Judgment. The Jewish spies explored the land of Canaan. How many days? Forty days. When they rebelled against God and didn't do what God told them to do and go in in Canaan after they had, had went in through that trial of looking at it, how many years did they have to wander in the wilderness? Forty years. 40 years. And we could go on and pull some others there, but, you know, the Lord gives Nineveh 40 days to repent. Say, so, what are you saying, preacher? I'm not saying that when you sin that you got 40 days to get it right. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that at all. But what I will say is this. God is merciful. He's long-suffering. He's gracious. But the end of the 40 days will come. 
there comes a time. Well, when is it, preacher? I have no idea. I, we don't know. That's in the hands of the Lord. I've seen people who got, Christians who got away from God. And they would not get back in church. They would not go seek the Lord. And they would not. And, and it seems as though their hearts got harder and harder and harder and harder and harder to the point to where nothing even fazed them anymore. Could I just use this term? They went past the 40 days. Are they still going to heaven? Yeah, they're saved. But they're miserable. They're miserable. God gives second chances if we'll repent. God leads and guides. Well, preacher, how, how far do they? I don't know. God has his own timetable in working with people's lives because he is long-suffering, because he is merciful. Hey, when God gives you that second chance, don't waste it. Don't waste it. He's a God of second chances. Get up and go and live for Him. Our Christian lives are full of second chances when, when we fail the Lord if we'll repent. You know, we serve a wonderful God. A marvelous God. It's almost hard for me to grasp that because knowing the nature of man that God would give us so many second chances. He's a God of second chances. There may be somebody here or more than one somebody, and maybe not. There may be somebody watching by live stream that Satan has got you convinced that there's no second chance for you. Can I tell you tonight? He's a God of second chances. But you got to repent. You say, well, what are, I've always wondered what would have happened if uh, Jonah, after he got vomited out on the dry ground and, and God told him to go and he didn't go, what do you think would have happened? He'd love to get swallowed by another big fish. My friend, we have a God of second chances. Isn't he good? Isn't he good? Let's bow. Father, we thank you and we love you. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God of second chances. There is no one, nothing like you. I thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness of sins and the many second chances in my life. Thank you for salvation, Lord, giving those chances, Lord, to get saved. You didn't have to, but you kept dealing with me. Thank you, Lord, for that second chance. Thank you for saving my soul. Thank you for the mercies of God, that long-suffering, the patience. Lord, when we don't listen to the Word of God and the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the preaching of Thy Word, Thank you, Lord, even for the difficult times so that you can bring us to repentance. For your honor and for your glory.
Thank you, Lord, that you care about us because you know that if you get us where we're supposed to be, then the work that you want us to do will be right. Have your will way, Lord, in this invitation, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with your heads bowed?